Hello, I'm Will Yeoman, and welcome to another episode of the Pod Well Travelled, where I'm joined today by Stephen Scourfield, travel editor Stephen Scourfield, who is finally back home in, in Perth, Western Australia, after travelling through the, the delights of, of France on the river with the Viking... Um, is it, what, what's, what's the name of the ship? Heimdall. Heimdall. Heimdall, Heimdall yes. Oh, Heimdall, yes. Yep. I bet you were sad to leave. I was. You know, the Rhone, that beautiful... Um that beautiful trip between, well, starting in Nice, but from Arles up through Avignon to Lyon is such a favourite. Yeah, I was, I was sad to, to finish it up. And, of course, Europe in summer is beautiful. But then I've come back to a rather beautiful little patch here in winter in West Australia. With this. You have, and we're going to talk about that in a moment with the wildflowers. But I wanted to say before we do that, that you did bring a little bit of your trip back with you in the form of a lovely interview with Jerome Serre, who is the program director in the Viking Heimdall. So we're going to be hearing from him a little bit later. We're also going to be hearing from Tim Richards, who is a um, travel writer and who wrote a fabulous book with published by Fremantle Press called Travelling South, Far North Queensland to Western Australia. So I caught up with him a few weeks ago while he was back in in Western Australia. He came from here originally, but he hasn't been back for 25 years. We can't blame all of that on the pandemic, can we? No, we can't blame that. <laughs> no, we can't. But anyway, Stephen, you, 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 let's go back to your, your news of, of the, the blossoming, the blooming delights in Western Australia. Yes, we've, we've been out and about. Um, yesterday, I spent the whole day out um, looking around sort of the, you know, near Perth, I suppose, up in the hills and uh, we've found all the brooks running, of course, because there's been this wet period of, of weather. Uh, we were out on a, a sunny day. It was cool but sunny. And finding some really interesting plants, really interesting flowers uh, coming out. This is all in preparation for our coach days, our nice day out, as we as we call it, where we take, mm. take readers out with us on days on the coach. Now... Have you got any seats left? Because these things well, tend to sell out rather quickly. Well, they do. And oddly enough, I mean, because there's always this sort of last minute shuffling with people who can and can't make it. So we do have three seats on Monday, I think it is, and one seat on Wednesday. So we've just got a bit of a change. Um, I'll give you a phone number for those in a moment. Please do. Because I haven't got it right in front of me, of course. <laughs> I, knew, I knew you'd ask. What? Well, while you're doing that, it's yeah, it's important to say that these things usually do sell out very quickly. And also, you're talking about next week, aren't you? Yes, we are. Next week, I mean, the whole point. And next Monday. Yeah, the whole point uh, of the Recce I went out with Grady Brand and with yes. uh, with our partners, of course, uh, Virginia and uh, and Leslie, and we had a really good look around. So we we drove the route and we uh, really made ourselves aware of what was what was going on. Um, some of the flowers are very, very interesting. And, of course, Grady, who's a great wildflower expert, uh, is just the man to explain what they are mm. and, you know, what they do. And uh, what I did also yesterday was write, um, as we went, I wrote about 4,000 words yesterday. I wrote, put together lots of stories that we'll be telling before we arrive at certain mm. spots and as we leave. So really filling Amazing. in the whole day. Um, We've got morning tea, afternoon tea arranged, and we've got lunch all included as well. So that's all ready for next week. I'm, I'm very excited because I think we've, I say as much as anything from my perspective, we've got a lot of stories to tell too. Uh, Moans Johansson is coming along, our great colleague who 
is on the show, of course, most weeks. And Moans is going to be doing photography with phones with our guests as well. So we're kind of, there's three of us, um, poor you, left holding the fort, but there's three of us doing... As, as usual, always left that's, holding the baby. That's just That's just not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's because we're all dispensable, but you're definitely not, William. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. It makes me feel a hell of a lot better. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, so let me, I have, uh, let me give you this phone number. The, the day is, the Please day is $165, which includes, well, everything you've heard about. Gradient, Moans and I will be there. This morning tea, lunch, afternoon tea. We leave Crown, a cow bucket Crown at, um, 8.30 in the morning and we're back at 5 so it's a, a nice full day we'll get off the coach 6 times actually um, so we've arranged all of that uh, the phone number to call is 6270-6060 because we've partnered with Pinnacle Tours which is a great local company here in West Australia uh, mm. we, we love working with them so 6270-6060 and that's for three seats on Monday available of course you don't have to have all three and one on Wednesday so if you've got a mm. if you've got a day free and you want to come and join us that'll be a heap of fun oh beautiful yeah well I, I wish I did have a day free so I could join you but <laughs> sorry. that's not going to happen sorry, so. that was a bit mean <laughs> if, if anyone else has got a day free apart from you <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Well, I tell you what. Let, 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 let me let me try and escape this 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 you know nightmare of missing out by your taking us to the rivers of France and on board the Viking Heimdall with Jérôme Sœur, who is the program director. Uh, well, we're on the Viking Heimdall. We're actually on the. Rhone River in France on a very beautiful sunny afternoon, just cruising between pretty towns. Um, I'm with Jerome Sur. Sur, yes. I was, I was close, close-ish. Very close. No, if you good. put a French accent to it, you'll be fine. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, who's the program director on the ship? Now, perhaps you know you're you're the kind of embodiment of, of life on the ship and. Not only on the ship, but getting off the ship, which is so important to visit these towns that we're passing by. So perhaps you could just tell us a bit about, you know, how you keep the energy going on the ship and then the sort of things people can do off the ship. And particularly we're, we're between, basically between Arles and Lyon on this wonderful part of southern France. Well, the energy, well, when it comes to the energy, the one I have, it's what you see is what you get. Um, but when I go home, I'm very quiet and all, but I'm bored, I like that. But it's, I, I, I do have a, the feeling that when everyone comes on board, it is everyone gets to know each other, become a family, you get to make new friends. And just by that, just by making new friends, people are just in a happy mood to start with. So to keep the energy on board, I don't... It's not just me, it's also the guests on board and the whole crew. I mean, you've got to understand that all the crew that work here can actually do that job back at home. Waiters, housekeeping, reception, front desk, all that. So the people are here, they're here because they want to be. Yeah. So that already elevates all the mood up because yeah. people want to be here. It's not a chore to come to work because we live and, and work on the same ship for long periods of time. So, so we do become kind of a close two families, family. which, which exactly for seven days in this case meld together as one family yeah. in some cases. So that's how we keep the energy on board. Yeah. It's the whole yeah. the whole atmosphere that yeah. there is. And now things to do off a ship. I mean, we've got 29 different short excursions during this cruise. There's excursions for everyone. 
if you're a foodie, if you're a history buff, if you're like, uh, if you're a bit more active and sporty. So it's, it's like I said, that would begin a cruise to you. I treat it more like a menu in a restaurant. Yeah. And just so you're not going to order everything, you just pick and mix and make it your own, whatever it is that you want to do. But we do have, in every single port of call, there's included show excursions, and the guests have a chance to actually go and do other things in optional show excursions. Yeah. I like this basic diet of this sort of morning walk with local mm-hmm. guides. And then, as you say, you can go canoeing in Avignon or you yes. can go to the chocolate. We just went to the chocolate factory. Or you could go on a hike down through right. the vineyards. Yep. And yep. tomorrow we've got a trek that's going to go from the ship to uh, Fourvière in Lyon and then walk back down, passing through the old towns. I mean, there's things for everyone. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because you, you know, there's quite a lot of guests on board and a big crew on board. So you've got a lot of, a lot of character, a lot of people, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's quite difficult to have something for everyone but you clearly do it, we do I mean this cruise we've got 167 guests on board the ship has a capacity of 190 and we do have 52 crew members on board this cruise as well so the ratio crew guests is pretty high it's a crew member for every three guests let's say okay so yep. the ratio is pretty high and um, yeah so we take care of our guests and they'll be able to do all these different things whatever the choice that they have it's um how am I going to explain this as I said it's, yeah. you can do one thing you can do something else you can even not do anything and just relax if that's what you want to do so do you mind just tell me a little about yourself I mean you have an interesting accent which you, <laughs> which you explain to guests your well, own I'm, history I'm, I'm French I was born in France from French parents uh, but by the age of four they decided to move to Tenerife in the Canary Islands and uh, this is where I grew up this is where I live now I just moved back there last December uh, officially moving back there so uh, whilst I was there, um, speaking French at home, speaking Spanish because I was in Spain and my parents put me in an English school from the age of four. So at the age of four, I was already using three languages on a daily basis. Mm. So I studied there, then I went to boarding school in Madrid, in King's College in Madrid uh, for three years. And then I went to university in London, the University of Westminster. Then came back to Tenerife and started working in hospitality business. And uh, a couple of years after that, I joined cruising and ocean liners, different cruise companies. And this is my fourth season with Viking. So yeah. yeah. And so are you a career program director? Is that well? No, no, because I studied tourism and hospitality yeah. management. Yeah. And my idea was to become a hotel manager or a hotel director mm. when I was younger. And then I, 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 I started traveling. I got the, I got the. An illness in a way saying that I have to travel it's, it's become a passion of mine so uh, it's like a virus and it's contagious I'm telling you and uh, so I started traveling and the hospitality industry is a great job to have to travel but then when you go into a cruise industry and you're actually in a different place every day instead of doing a season somewhere and a season somewhere else yep. so in a different place every day and you can uh, change ships uh, so it's it's the great job that yeah. It's the job made me even travel even more. And I was traveling, so, and I get paid to travel. And so I also pay to travel because yeah. of my time off, I go and see places, preferably not on the coast, because I do the coast of ships. So yes, I try so to go in towns and more inland. You've been telling me that you're actually going to Antarctica as a guest. Yes, in 2023. Viking, 2023 on that fantastic new ship. Yeah, I can't, I just can't wait. It's, it's pretty it's, amazing with that dock. It's the only continent I still have to go to and I want to take it off my bucket list fantastic yeah well you, you deserve a break I mean today we're as I say we're in the south of France and of course it's been a very very hot summer this is the fourth wave of heat coming through 
and there's big <laughs> fires all around us. Yeah, there and is. You've had to get well, all you know the, the steam train that guests were supposed to go on was cancelled today. So I saw yeah. you rearrange the whole day for everyone very quickly. Well, As you mentioned, it, 167 guests. Yeah, it's not, not just me. I, I can't. I can't take the full credits. Oh, I've I got a great team with me. Got, <laughs> I can't take full credit. No, I understand that, but you and the team. Yeah. Um, you know, really responded so beautifully today and pulled together a fantastic yeah. day. No, it was fun. I mean, I mean, it's and we never get to take our guests of our own now, which is where we went, the chocolate factory. Yep. And so it was a nice uh, difference, and it's a nice difference also for yep. us. I mean, I always say uh, the quote I always go by is like, it's kind of fun to do the impossible. It was said by Walt Disney. He said it for different reasons, but I think it fits perfectly in what we do because, yes, yesterday might have been a bit of a stressful day reorganizing everything but at the end of the night you know you finish job you have a glass of wine and you're like okay that was kind of fun <laughs> great great so yeah thanks so much Jerome for talking to us and oh, thanks for pleasure. putting this fantastic week on the uh, Viking Heimdall well thank you now Stephen I noticed he well you were here I can't remember who brought up the subject of his his accent because it's yes <laughs> it is a bit odd isn't it <laughs> yeah it's very interesting uh Jerome actually lives in Spain. Mm. Uh, he's on holiday at the moment, so he was leaving the ship to go back to Spain. Um, and he's got yeah, really quite mixed descent. He spent a lot of his childhood in Argentina. Uh, he has French parents, but he speaks you know several languages. So yeah, you get this really quite an interesting mix. But there's a lot of London in there. I there think, is. That's well. what that's what dominated for yeah. me. Absolutely. Spent a lot of time there too. Yes. Yeah, so it's 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 fascinating, isn't it, when you meet people who lived all over the place and got all these languages uh, to that degree. No, um, it is, but, uh, but, but, but he must, sounds like a... F- so go on. No, I was going to say also, but, I mean, next week we'll actually feature Jerome again mm. uh, because he's got this great technique, which we did a little session on, how to get the French to speak English to you. And those of us who travel in France know that, that can be quite tricky. Um, so uh, Jerome's will explain, and it works. I saw it in action. It really works. How to get the French to speak English to you. It's fantastic. Oh, that sounds like it. It's not to be missed. So listeners, next week on the pod Well Travelled, you, you know, you might actually learn something, which would be pretty amazing. <laughs> it, it certainly would. <laughs> <laughs> but look, look, just, just to leave the subject, you're back home. We, we, we've talked to you on the pod in, on previous occasions about your trip, but um, just now that you are back on dry land and just you've got an opportunity to reflect, ha, ha, what sort of trip was it? I mean, how, how was it for you? Yeah, it's so interesting. It was, it was kind of a risky business for me because um, – Certainly during the last couple of years, I, I was asked to write, I wrote my kind of top 50. And that run on the river was was my number one. Mm. And then I, and, and, you know, the whole process, I took 39 readers, you know, were a lot, traveling with me alongside me. Yes, yes. So, and the whole process of, of um, you know, mentioning to people, I guess Arles in particular, Avignon, Lyon, are such... Um, precious places to me and, and because it's been talked about I sort of really wonder whether I got there and think hmm this is a bit awkward because it's not <laughs> quite as quite as wonderful as I remembered but but it was um so I, I felt it was quite a risky business to go back and to go back in company so that sure. one's reactions to a place are more are obvious to the people with you so it was quite an interesting exercise for me. I, I spend, you know, so much time travelling and kind of processing, writing on my own. Mm. Um, 
to be there with others and to hear their reaction too is quite a different um you know it's quite a different kettle of fish for me particularly with so many people with so many different you know from so many different backgrounds and mm. different experience and mm. you know i think everyone i can't, i didn't talk to anyone who was not you know completely taken by arl you know and well and by mm. avignon and leon you know they're, they're such charming yeah, yeah, places and there are little places in between like vienne um which is just a delight i think it's such a you know, undermentioned place. Um, but of course, we've got stories on all of this coming up in, in future as well. Well, that was going to be a Manic's question. And of course, it's always tantalising when you talk about these things on the on the podcast because we can't see your fabulous photographs. So it's certainly something to look forward to as well. Yeah, lots of pictures. Um, I had fun too. It's quite interesting because I've become so keen on phone photography and I'm enjoying that so much. I feel so mm. liberated by it. Mm. But I took a couple of I took to my two new Canon R7s. Um, one's got the eighteen one fifty lens on it, which is a very mm-hmm. good travel lens, and one's got a hundred four hundred. But I sort of I worked them into the trip by really sort of I, I just, I'm going to take my cameras out for a walk now, and I'd go out for a couple of hours just to take <laughs> pictures. You know, it's like walking the dog or something. So I still find that the the phone camera I've got a thirteen Pro, an iPhone thirteen Pro. Mm. Um, that, that that for walking around and taking pictures and being very careful with it, using it like a camera is wonderful. Um, but yes. then I really enjoy the process. So that's kind of like watercolour painting, I suppose. I enjoy the colour of going out with an easel, which is the cameras, and setting up and doing oils, you know, being more thoughtful. And that engages me with a place in a different way. Oh, that's quite a good analogy, and actually it, it reminds me that you've got a, a lovely little piece in this Saturday's travel section of the West Australian, which is all about uh, taking photographs um, in the rain. Yes, well, we got to Leon, and it'd been so hot. I mean, every day had been hot, 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 as I'm sure everyone's been hearing about Europe. Got to Leon, and then this morning, it rained really hard for more than a morning, you know, two-thirds of the day almost. Um, so I've done a little piece just showing people how to get kind of take pictures in the rain particularly when you're through windows and things it's quite a moody little little idea so hopefully when you're sitting in a coach somewhere and it's raining you know oh this is just terrible i wanted to take some nice pictures you'll you'll have a technique for taking some very different style of pictures which capture the mood of the place in the rain mm. Mm. No, absolutely beautiful. Well, look, now for something completely different. I'm going I'm to take you to a small cafe on Rockaby Road in Subiaco in Western Australia where I met up with Tim Richards. So you're going to hear a, a little bit of traffic noise, but I, I didn't mind that because I, I quite like the sense of place, you know, the ambiance, if you like. It's, it's not quite Vienne, yes, but, you know, it's Subi. And for those of us locals who enjoy coffee in Subi, you know, they'll, they'll get it. So let's hear from Tim Richards. Okay, Tim, welcome to the Pod Well Travelled. Now, we're sitting outside a cafe in Subiaco in Western Australia. Your book, Heading South, has been out since August. Uh, This last year, wasn't it? Last year. Why are you only just now embarking on a book tour? Well, I I could mention uh, Mr. McGowan. Um, He has something to do with it. But no, obviously, it was was chaos. In 2020, I was... Uh, feeling sorry for my colleagues who are having books coming out that year and I thought thank god my book is coming out a year later and won't be disrupted by this terrible plague <laughs> and of course 
Uh, my book was supposed to come out August last year. We had uh, yet another lockdown that started around then in Melbourne. Yes. And so uh, I shoved the flights on uh, to, you know, somewhat later in that year, thinking, well, I can probably still come over. Uh, and then, of course, things went on and on. And then I shoved them on the February, thinking, yeah, summer in Perth, that'll be nice. Not too long after the book is out, I can still do some publicity. And then the WA government closed the borders for the very last time because they hadn't quite had enough of hassling my life. And uh, and so I shoved them on into winter because I already had other plans this year. So here I am in Perth in winter for the first time in 25 years since I left in 1997. Um, uh, and actually, it's not too bad. But, um, yeah, so I am here. Um, and the book's still out on the shelves. Um, I think it's selling well, I believe. Yeah, well, look, well for those who, who perhaps aren't familiar with the book, we, we did run excerpts in the West Australian when it did come out, so that at least that was timely. Tell us a bit more about the book. It, it, I mean, it celebrates your love of, of train journeys, and yeah. there is a certain romance attached to the idea of travelling the train, but this is some of the great Australian train journeys, isn't it? Yes, it is. And with heading south, I think, too, uh, it was a few years ago, I actually did the, the trip in 20 2018. This is yes. how long publishing takes to, of to gear up, right? And and so it was like you know travel writing. My colleagues and I were feeling that it was getting a bit difficult, and I thought I, I, I should try something new. I should do a book, you know. And then obviously I write a lot about rail travel anyway. So um, I had a look at a map. There's a website called railmaps.com.au, which is like an enthusiast website yes, where he's yes, put all do. the rail. Uh, journeys around Australia on one map, which normally you don't see because states run the passenger rail. And I was looking at it thinking, oh, I wonder what the longest journey is you could do with passenger rail without having to sort of catch buses or whatever. And um, it's not quite the longest journey, but I started right up in far north Queensland. There's an amazing, bizarre railway called the Gulflander, and, and then in, inside heading south you get me on the Gulflander, and then going uh, through Queensland, uh, all the way down the coast via Sydney, via Melbourne, the train to Adelaide, and then the Indian Pacific to Perth, and then the Australind down to Bunbury, where I was born. And <laughs> wow. I, I thought it was kind of nice, because I was starting somewhere very remote I'd never been. Yes. Uh, halfway through, uh, I was in Melbourne, where I live now, and I ended in Western Australia, where I've been born, where I grew up. And so there was an interesting sort of going back in time vibe. Uh, and at the end, I interviewed my dad about um, uh, the railways he remembered when he was young in, in southwest mm. WA. So that sort of gave us a nice, I think, continuity or, or uh, symmetry, maybe. Sure. So I, I try and talk a lot about the railways, about the trains I'm on, what they're like now. But I put a lot of history in as well. So a lot of um, little interesting, fun stories from the past uh, about the railways in the 19th century or, or bizarre things like the rail gauge problem that we have between different states, which I didn't want to bore anyone with, but, you know, is actually quite fun to Yeah, to absolutely. Look, I think that's a good point, that it's not just the book for train nerds. There's so much personal history in there, mm. so much anecdotal yep. stuff. It's, it's actually a very entertaining book. And, and I mean, okay, so what we should mention, it's published by Fremantle Press right here yes. in Australia too. Yes, indeed. Available in all good bookshops. Yes. <laughs> and <indeed>. online. <laughs> and a lot of signed copies out there. Every time I go past a bookshop, just... I pop in and, and offer to sign the copies. Oh, so fantastic. Try and get a rare unsigned one if you can. But <laughs> <laughs> That's one of um, Stephen Scarfield's jokes, a rare unsigned copy. Yeah, He's a prolific book signer. I'm... 
and, I, and I've felt too, uh, you mentioned about a personal note in the journeys. I didn't want it to just be dry, you know, rail. Exactly. These are the specifications of this locomotive. I actually don't care about that stuff. Yeah, it's sure. the experience. Yeah. And so I was trying very hard to talk to people as I went along. Because I was travelling by myself, that made it easier. Yes, yes. And I try to put their dialogue into the book as if they are characters. They're real people. I've changed their first names if they didn't know I was writing a book. Oh, cool. So I was often They're writing notes, and I'd be having this great conversation and say, look, do you mind if I just make notes of this conversation yeah, yeah, because yeah, I'm sure. writing a book? And yeah. they'd go, fine. Yeah. And then I'd, So I'd keep their real first name, and I'd just write notes. Um, if they didn't know, I'd just change their first name. And I had a bit of fun with uh, looking through you know, baby name books from different years oh, to try and right. get the appropriate name that would reflect their age so I've quite enjoyed doing that yeah. Um, so yeah it's definitely is the people you meet along the way as well it's not just the train journeys if that makes sense so let, let's uh, talk more broadly now uh, life as a as a travel <laughs> writer uh, I'm not going to say post-COVID because it's not post-COVID, no, but it's, it's, it's post-restrictions in a lot of ways. You're more free to travel. But as you pointed out, we were chatting earlier before starting this recording, and you mentioned the fact that, you know, people, I don't know, there's expectation that it's like we're, we're back to normal, but it's very far from it, and you've experienced that yourself. Very true. And look, I've just been in Canada, so this is my first, uh, what I would say, big travel um, writing journey since COVID started. Obviously, last year I did a fair bit of domestic in between lockdowns, and I went to New Zealand, and I went to Fiji very briefly earlier this year. But this was a big trip. This was four weeks in Canada, quite a lot of rail travel, an amazing uh, voyage on a supply vessel that heads out to remote fishing communities in in the Gulf of St. Lawrence in Quebec. Uh, I love that. I got there by sleeper train too. So I'm trying nowadays too. I always was doing this, but I'm trying now, if I fly somewhere, because we have to fly to leave Australia, when we get to the other end, I try to do everything by surface. So just trying to keep those emissions down. Um, So it was all rail and and ship in Canada this time. Uh, And it was interesting because obviously it was fairly normal, but every time I had a long distance train trip, you had to show your international vaccine certificate uh, and people were fine with that so that was good but um and you're wearing masks on public transport still wearing masks on trains and uh, that kind of thing but otherwise it was fairly similar rules to here so um not impossible to travel but oh uh, but there was one thing yes okay I'd forgotten about this. I think my mind has been trying to block it out. I arrived in Canada, and uh, I knew they weren't doing testing on arrival. You didn't have to get tested before you went. didn't have to get tested on arrival. I knew there was this thing that was mentioned on the website about random tests, but I thought, oh, well, that won't happen. And then uh, I was sure passing through Vancouver Airport. I got handed the box. Right, mate, you're down for a random test. Right, okay. you, you know what you had to do? I, had to, I got to Toronto, which was my final stop, yeah. and then I had to go online, book an appointment. The next day, I had to have a virtual, like, Zoom-type appointment with someone to supervise me doing the swabs. Oh my God, then it had to be packaged up and sent off by FedEx the next wow. day. It was insane. Imagine being someone who's flying in and getting straight onto uh, uh, a train the next day, like the Rocky Mountaineer, and having to do all this. Well, exactly. Anyway, so it doesn't happen very often, no. but, but they are doing random tests. But, uh, so that was a slightly stressful, because I did, really didn't want it to come back positive, obviously. No, no, I had a very busy not. itinerary. Yeah. So there, I guess you do have to factor in these things. You have to be have a plan B. Um, it, it may be if um, 
That is a good point nowadays. You have to think a little bit, if this happens, what do I do? And, and flying was a bit messy, as we all know. Well, I was going to ask you, there was another question I was going to ask yeah. you. The, the state of um, the airlines at the moment. It was a bit of a, it was a, bit of a mess. Uh, I had a domestic flight at each end. I was going to Sydney to pick right. up Air Canada. Yeah. And both those Qantas flights, we sat on the tarmac for about 45 minutes waiting yeah. for them to load the, the yeah, baggage. Sure. Uh, and coming back from Canada, I had um, there was a storm in Montreal, which is not their fault, uh, and that mucked up all the flights to get to Vancouver. And then my Vancouver flight was stuck on the tarmac for two hours because they couldn't detach the the fueling truck. I've got no... That has never happened to me before. And obviously it's got nothing to do, I suppose, with the pandemic, but it was the weirdest... Yeah, tr- flying was a bit weird, you know, and um, you just had to be... A, yeah, even flying over here, I said, yeah, you've just got to have a little plan B in your head um, yeah. and just be thinking this might not go smoothly. Well, like, I mean, no matter what the mode of transport is, it's all about managing expectations, isn't it? It is. And I, I, I mean, I think we can definitely travel. I had a great trip in Canada. I, did, yeah. I saw great things. Uh, I moved around a lot. People were very helpful. They were very glad to see uh, travellers back. Um, so I think you can do it. That I mean, obviously, you have to think about the, the health side of it and you have to think about the regulation side. There was quite a bit of paperwork to do for Canada. You know, obviously, when you arrived at the airport, you had to um, show various certificates and various apps and various screenshots and whatever. So you, you have to be a little on top of that. But I don't think it would stop me travelling. No, um, no, but obviously, you have to have your head around it. Yeah. I mean, just thinking of, along those lines, too, we were talking before about... You know, this is this is not normal, and the idea that it may never return mm. to what we think of as normal, but perhaps a, a different normal, a new normal. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I mean, 2019 is a sort of just this, this oasis back in my. It's only three years ago. It, it, it seemed like such an interesting oh, time. <laughs> I keep flashing back to my last big trip, which was Germany, Liechtenstein, Switzerland, right. Paris, UK, and that was all by rail uh, between those. And that was yes, 2019. Yes. Different world different world but the um i've got a horrible cold in zurich too i remember that now so there you go we were, even then we were catching infect, infectious things but um no that's okay i mean to be honest i don't mind as long uh, i don't mind doing a bit of paperwork i don't mind having to plan ahead a bit as long as you know i can travel exactly it's certainly better than when we were the last couple of years where we, it's been on again off again or, or impossible but we can only hope that maybe it eases a bit more and, and becomes a bit more practical um, so, so, in terms of your, you know, the viability of a career as a, as a freelance writer or travel journalist, I mean, obviously it was a pretty bumpy ride the last couple of years. Where are you sort of sitting right now? I've got no idea. It's a mystery, yeah. to be honest, because I know how I think it works in right. 2019 right. terms, right? Right. And so often with me, um, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been yeah. travel writing almost 20 years now. Right. Okay. And for me, it's a, a typical trip like that. Canada is it's me negotiating with tourism bodies, yeah. maybe accommodation, maybe a tourism operators. Uh, they host me, I, I take notes, I write stories, I sell them to publications. That's the model. Yes. Um, it's still working in a kind of faltering, kind of on-again, off-again, puttering way. But you, you may notice, I don't know with the West, but I notice with other publications, the travel sections are still not as big as they were three years ago. Um, so you can tell that perhaps you know people are being a bit hesitant about travelling. Advertisers... Obviously, the advertising money is the lifeblood of the publications. Absolutely. That's probably a little hesitant. And, and if there's no advertising money, there's no money to pay freelancers like me. So um, I, th- I feel it's still a little wobbly. Um, I'm trying to do a U.S. trip, uh, organize a U.S. trip for October, which will have a lot of train journeys. 
and I'm um, just uh, you know kind of feeling my way with that how to set it up dealing with the US is quite complex because they're, they're 50 different countries in a way uh, the states all have their own you know tourism marketing but there is a, a national body that helps as well um, so I, I, it's a little hard to say I mean obviously people will always want to read about travel there's really always going to be a market for travel sections yes. online and, and in whatever publications exist but um, I mean I also write for Lonely Planet sometimes yes, as well yes, of course. I, I, in January 2020 <laughs> I handed in the latest update of the Pocket Melbourne guide which okay. is a little compact yes, guide yes. I live in Melbourne and um, I did that in, uh, with a colleague and we researched it all. We handed it in, and it went on to ICE, obviously. Uh, and it's just been published uh, a few months uh, back. Um, but even even guidebooks, yeah, everything might have to be rethought a bit. Um, the way people are travelling might change as well. So it's 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 um it's a strange time. I, I wish I had a crystal ball. And yeah. could, all I feel is I just feel like I just keep pushing, pushing, pushing. I keep trying things. I'll try new. I tried a lot of new outlets uh, during uh, lockdown. I wrote for people I'd never written for before because other people weren't available. A lot of in-flight magazines closed down temporarily or maybe forever. Uh, so in-flight magazines obviously are a good market. So yeah, we're kind of. It's if I sound a bit vague, it's yeah because we're still guessing. No, no, absolutely, yeah. completely understand. And I'm just wondering too for. For people who are perhaps just starting out, it must be difficult because someone like yourself with such a, I guess they call them portfolios, you've got a proven track record, it's much easier for you to approach new new publishers and say, yeah. here I am. But for someone who doesn't have that, it must it must be so difficult. Uh, I just like to say to them, don't, don't do it. I don't need, <laughs> I, I don't need a competition, seriously. It's hard enough as it is. No, no, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It would be difficult. I suppose nowadays too, we're much more digital focused. Yeah. I suppose there are yeah. a lot more digital outlets I now write for some publications which are digital only so in some ways that could be uh, if someone who's sort of new and young and and kind of um, really geared up for that approach maybe that would work for them Um, obviously some people are out there doing their own stuff I've got a Patreon site for example it's like a a subscription blog right so I don't have a large number of uh, subscribers but it's certainly a lot more money than Google Ads brings in on say a free blog Um, and that's my own little outlet Um, so people some people are good at doing that finding a way of getting direct income the books I've got another book out um, Ultimate Train Journeys World yeah so that one was written entirely during Melbourne's second lockdown Uh, it was 20 chapters and we had a 16 week lockdown so I wrote a chapter a week that's more of a coffee table book so it's Ultimate Train Journeys World It's, it's 20 great train journeys it's really 30 there's a separate second section too sure, okay. um, but that one I wrote entirely during the lockdown I wrote a chapter a week and obviously that um, if it sells well is, is a bit of income as well sure, so there are I guess there are options like there always have been but it is it would be difficult starting out I think if you were new and fresh and thought where do I start um, in some ways those models still work I tell you what, I will just I will say something encouraging though is that it is hard to say get to that editor so you email the editor with your brilliant idea the editor's very busy they always are um, so if they know you obviously they're more likely to open your email even then I, I, I find a chance <laughs> having said that though if you've got a brilliant idea and you've yeah. travelled somewhere amazing yeah. and you're a good writer and you've written it up yeah. then that editor won't really care whether he or she knows you if it's good they may well publish it yeah. so I wouldn't say give up hope because and, and, and that's your foot in the door in a sense it, it is and yeah, then you've got some published material yeah. exactly and, and, and you know all of us started by having nothing published and yeah. sending a piece probably on spec to an editor 
who went, hey, you know, that's good, I like that, I'll, I'll publish that. So I don't think they're picky um, they, if they just like good writing uh, and, it, you know, study the publication, obviously, too, and, and see what they've covered before and uh, who, who their market might be, who they're writing for. Um, you might well, if you can use your imagination. Actually, I do think 90% of this job sometimes is just the imagination of thinking up story ideas that no one else has covered, mm. but which are not so obscure that the editor won't like them. Exactly. Right? So I'll give you an example. If I go to a big city like London, right? Now, London, everyone knows London. You, you can definitely sell a story about London. Problem is, everyone else is writing the same ideas, right? You're competing with everyone. So you've got to find something in London that no one's kind of really covered, but it's still a good story for a traveller. And I try to do this all the time. I keep a running word doc. If I read anything about London, like a news story about something that could be a, a travel attraction, I put it in that file. And I'll give you an example when I was over in London in 2019. Um, I, I've often noted that, obviously, people go to London, they like seeing theatre, right? You go to the West End, or possibly if something more cerebral, you go over to the South Bank, right? So people think of those two areas. Yeah, absolutely. Right? But there's a third area, right? In Islington, there are a whole bunch of smaller venues doing indie theatre comedy above pubs or in small specialist um, theatres and it's not something tourists think about it's something that locals who like theatre would know about so I spent some time in and I went to a couple of different shows above pubs behind pubs you know and um, great local theatre more likely to be local maybe or new or a revival of something that's been overlooked and I got a great article out of that and I put in some food and drink and that was great because it would really appeal to a traveller who's seen all the West End stuff and we get it all here now anyway, don't we? At least we do in Melbourne. Um, and it, and it, it made a good travel story because it was something the locals would do that would appeal. And so that's what I try and do with somewhere like London, Fantastic. New York, mm. anywhere. That's I try and think, what is different from the standard thing that everyone is writing about but would still appeal? Uh, Quebec City once. Um, I had some time to kill before a night train. And I left all the beautiful buildings up top. And I went down to this neighbourhood called St. Rock, which was slightly crumbly, grotty neighbourhood that was becoming gentrified with IT companies. And I spent all day just eating food. And I interviewed the guy in the fish shop and, and um, tried coffee. And I wrote a story about the Eat Street that tourists don't go to yeah, in yeah, Quebec sure, City. Sure. Here's how to Amazing. avoid the tourists. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. So that kind of thing works well. Uh, I've done lots of stories about Australian-run, australian, australian run or Australian-owned cafes in foreign countries. In foreign countries, yeah. So I did, you know, five cafes in Aussie cafes in New York, Aussie cafes in London, Aussie cafes in Singapore. I've done a few of those. The whole series. That's yeah, yeah. I did one in ten around the world because I was in South Korea and I um, found a great Aussie-Korean couple who owned a cafe there that was very Aussie in its yeah. style. Yeah. I mean, I mean the, that's, that's such a terrific approach. But I'm also thinking about the other approach one can take is to write about um, familiar places, but in a unique voice, for example. Mm. You know, there, I think there's always room for someone to take sure. a fresh approach on something that, yes, has been written about a million times. True. That is very true. Yeah, I was thinking here in, you know, I grew up here in, in uh, Perth, or I was here as a, a teenager. Yes. And I would, yes, and I spent a lot of time in Fremantle, but certainly I would be, yes, looking at a way of. You know, taking something that seems a cliche or yeah, a bit yeah, old hat yeah, sure. and going, how do we kind of bring in a fresh approach? Exactly. Sometimes a good way is to bring another voice in, right? So sure. travel writing tends to be a bit egotistical. We're all going, I, 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 me, me, me. Tense. Yes, first yeah, person, exactly. right? Yeah. So bring in the voices. You know, right. um, I'll give you a weird one. I was here last year. I managed to get here between the lockdowns. There's that famous WA thing of the Conti Royal, the Continental yes. Royal, right? With the, the sort of Italian meat 
sandwich. And I was and I popped into one of the one I've forgotten the place, but it's in Northbridge. It's been there a million years um, doing this. And I thought oh, that would potentially be a good story. You know, and you would interview someone, you'd find yeah. some founder of one of these great Italian delis, and you would bring that voice in, and, Absolutely. and you would sort of update it a bit, and you would reveal this Perth secret to a you know to readership outside. But yeah, I, I think there's always an option for that, and and. Um, because people do want to know about the classics as well, and if you can bring a bit of fresh air to it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah there are so many different approaches, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, maybe look, maybe it's a last question, if I may. Um, thinking about your voice, do, do you is that important to you that you, you have a voice that's distinct from everyone else's, that's different from everyone else's? Or does that not matter so much? I think it does, because as you mentioned, uh, a lot of travel writing, particularly when you're writing for say a newspaper's travel section or a magazine or a website say it's a 700 word or 1000 word story right? it's, it's usually first person yeah. and you are trying to uh, this is how I feel I'm not just giving facts, there has to be facts in there suppose it's some amazing new food tour in um, uh, some city in the US you know Las Vegas or whatever um, but you want the facts to be in there but you really want the person reading it to feel the emotions behind it so what was it like to be standing there on that day doing yeah, that thing absolutely. so you want when I write notes I try and write the notes as soon as possible after doing whatever the activity is uh, and I'm putting down the emotions and the feelings and the weather and the tastes mm. and the smells mm. because I might be asked to write a story about that two years later um, and I can remember the facts but I need those emotional truths so I think having a voice, and for me, I tend to write a lot about, um, obviously about rail travel, yeah. but also urban stuff, culture, um, arts, food, that's kind of more my sort of area of yeah, expertise, yeah, sure. I guess. Whereas I've got colleagues who are adventure travel experts, they're cruise travel experts, yes. you know, that's their thing. And, they, and you can tell when you're writing about something that you actually care about. Because you did that voice and the emotion comes through. Comes through. Yeah, you know, I can write about something like a national park, but you can tell I won't be as into it. You know, it won't be quite my cup of tea. So I won't, it won't be as emotional and, and full of um, love and energy as as, uh, as something I really care about. I, I've done a lot of cultural things where I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. You know, something that's connected with. I, I went up to where they filmed Twin Peaks, okay. uh, east of Seattle, um, right. a few right. years ago, just when they were filming the, that new series. Yeah. And, um, and I love that show, and it meant something to me back when it was on in the 90s, you know, so you sort of put a bit of that affection and care Absolutely, yeah. In there. I, think, I think people really love that, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they do. That does they come do. through in the writing. Yeah. And it makes I, it something personal. And it's easy with rail travel, too, you know, yeah. you enjoy the experience of just, I always say, you know, just being, you're in that train and you're sliding through the landscape, um, you've got all the views but you're not held up in the way that say road traffic often is and there's just something very fluid and appealing about that and so if you can bring that across when you're writing uh, the scenery, the people on board, the whole connection then that's great and hopefully it inspires people to go and have a go at themselves. Absolutely, well I feel like we've come full circle now, we're back to the rail so we're back to trains so it's a good time to say goodbye. So, Tim Richards, right. thanks for being on the pod well Travel. Yeah, it's great. And I, I, I must say, it's unusual to be in Perth and not have arrived by train. That, <laughs> that, that, that is a very me comment to make, so it's, it's nice to be here. Yeah, okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Now, Stephen, Tim had some really interesting things to say about what it's like being a freelance travel writer at the moment, which is something you and I don't really 
I, I guess I won't say we don't have to worry about, but it does sound like it can be a bit of a worry. Did you have you ever had that experience yourself? Have, have you always worked from a, a major publication? Look, look, I, I have always worked for a major yes. publication. I mean, I've done some work for other publications, sure. but you know, um, not not to make a living like that. Um, it, it is something I'm exposed to and very conscious of because as a travel editor, uh, one is approached by freelance writers mm. well i was going to say on a daily basis sometimes on an hourly <laughs> basis and um you know so it's something that that we as a team you know are, are very conscious of the fact that it's difficult very difficult to make it mm. like that mm. um and not just a living but it's it's frustrating writing and not being published um so uh, just everyone gets an answer from me on the day and if it's a polite refusal at least they've got that and i i do have a lot of contact from people saying that they're they're pleased even to hear that because some publications don't even reply indeed so at least they know that the lie of the land and i'll sort of wish them well in placing it elsewhere uh, i'll try and explain you know why why I, why I don't like why I can't take mm. a story. So I, I'm I'm really conscious that you know it's it's difficult for them, and we try to be as gentle as we can. And of course, I'm always looking for other points of view. Mm. Um, you know, we 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 have our our way of looking at things, but every now and then, you know, someone will come in with a story. In fact, there was one today um, from a writer who's just ridden with his son, ridden a bicycle across England. You know, the width of England, and you know that was a an experience between him and his son and uh, he was he, he's put together a very detailed report about how to do it and so on so that that's something i think will be of great interest to readers so that's a story that we'll be publishing well exactly and, and it's unique it's something that you or i probably wouldn't yeah. be able to do so you know yeah that's right that's right so we're always looking for for that as well mm, no which makes sense well, look, Stephen, it's been wonderful to have you back here um, on dry land talking on the pod well travelled. Uh, looking forward to catching up with you next week. I know you've got a busy week ahead with the coach trips and all the other stuff that's going on. And um, I'm well, sure we might have we might have to do it from the coach next week. That'll be that fun. now that that would be amazing. <laughs> you, you and Moans, okay. you and Moans and Grady. Yeah. So the three of you, the three amigos. Yeah. On the coach. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. I'll wait. I'll wait them up specially. <laughs> Because I know he'll be doing all the work. So, well, you, you you should be used to that by now. You really should. Yeah, look, I'll I'll turn them so they don't get pencils, <laughs> and then we can do the uh, <laughs> we can we do, can do the, the podcast. podcast. <laughs> well, I really look forward to that, Stephen. Okay. In the meantime, you have a great week ahead. Yep. Thank you. Mm-hmm.